It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, May 9th. This is your KVMR Evening News. Tonight on the California Report, the nation's largest student-run powwow was held this weekend at Stanford University, and Californians await the May revise, an update on the governor's budget proposal. Then, California News Service speaks to Mark Berkman, CEO of the California-based Organization for Social Media Safety. We'll follow along as KVMR Youth News Corps reporter Maya Cruz discovers the magic of musical healing, and science correspondent Al Stoller lets us in on what tonight's weather has in store. We'll close with a commentary by Nevada County Abortion Rights co-founder Annabella Funk. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez reporting today from Santa Barbara. The nation's largest student-run powwow was held in person at Stanford University over the weekend, the first time that's happened since the pandemic hit. As KQED's Annalise Finney reports, the theme was intergenerational resilience. Mahone Walsh is sitting at a long line of booths outside the powwow arena, and he's speaking in Denebizad, the Navajo language. The elders are our culture, our cultural libraries, and you know, a lot of our, our language speakers were lost during the pandemic. Native Americans have faced higher death rates from COVID-19 than any other racial group. Over the last two years, a lot of powwows, like most cultural events, were canceled. Some tribes found other ways to connect. Grace Carter is a sophomore at Stanford and co-chair of the powwow. So I'm Cherokee, the Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma, and they started doing these video series where you would go online and then they just talk about kind of like a State of the Union address of like what's going on in Cherokee Nation. She says she was proud of her community's ability to adapt, but she missed powwows and the chance to come together and share cultural traditions like language, dance, and food. Here, fresh fry bread sizzles in pans of cooking oil, served up with maple sugar and strawberries, or taco-style with bison meat. Just across the stand of eucalyptus trees, dancers in full regalia perform in the arena, dust rising around their feet. I always think is so amazing about the Native American community is that everyone treats each other like family. And so when you come out, it really is just like a celebration. It's like a huge family gathering. It's so fun. And even with the stress of running an event like this, Carter says it's all worth it. For the California Report, I'm Annalise Finney in Palo Alto. Later this week, Governor Newsom will issue what's called a May Revise, updating the governor's budget proposal for the coming fiscal year. Financial justice advocates in the state hope part of that proposal will include the elimination of court fees known as civil assessments. These are penalties that courts impose when traffic tickets and other citations aren't paid on time. And like other government-mandated late fees and penalties, they often hit low-income Black and Latino Californians the hardest. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has the story. Lorena Vias is a single mother of four who lives in the Silicon Valley town of East Palo Alto. Last year, she got a ticket for driving with an expired vehicle registration. That's what the state calls a fix-it ticket. If you take care of the problem you've been cited for right away and have the police or the DMV or a court clerk sign off, that ticket will cost you $25. But that's not what happened in Vias' case. She paid to register her car 
but didn't finish the sign-off process. Not long after, she got pulled over again for the same issue. I told the cop, I'm like, look, I paid it. I just haven't lifted the suspension on the vehicle because I don't have time right now. Vias says it can be really hard to keep up with these follow-up measures when you are balancing family and work obligations, especially as a single mom. For example, she says, she didn't get to court to show proof she'd corrected the registration issue because the hearings were set for weekday mornings. 8.30 in the morning. At that time, I have to drop off one of my, my kids at one school. I drop off another one of my kids at a different school, and then I come to work. On top of the logistical challenges, she's also living paycheck to paycheck, she says. You know, I'm sorry, but it's either pay my bills or pay registration, pay babysitter, or I mean pay the registration. Brandon Green directs the Racial and Economic Justice Program at the ACLU of Northern California. If someone is to get one of those violations and they fail to pay, then that individual can also have a penalty levied on top of that. That penalty is called a civil assessment. Under the law, a civil assessment can be levied between zero and $300 per incident. Vias says she's currently got around $1,000 worth of civil assessment-related debt. And it's worth noting that, unlike funding from a lot of other traffic penalties, a chunk of civil assessment collections goes straight back to funding the county courts. So there's a financial interest in issuing it at $300 every single time. Green and other advocates are pushing for the abolition of the civil assessment for a number of reasons. Racial equity is one. Almost everybody's breaking some sort of traffic laws when they get behind the wheel. But because uh, police have the discretion of who to pull over, um, it generally results in black and brown people being pulled over more and then having more uh, traffic tickets, um, which then results in more uh, risk of the debt accompanying the traffic tickets. And advocates say these debts are exacerbated by racial wealth gaps and that civil assessments are just plain ineffective at getting people to pay. Governor Newsom's current budget proposal would cut the maximum civil assessment from $300 to $150. But advocates hope the upcoming May revise will go much further. And Brandon Green says he's optimistic because of what seems like a growing awareness around equity gaps happening statewide. The reparations task force, um, things like the Racial Justice Act, all of these things that sort of centralize the racial justice discussion and the over-policing and targeting discussion and getting rid of these fines and fees are things that are in line with uh, that. The Judicial Council of California sets policy for the state's courts. It said in a recent letter to advocates that it recognizes civil assessments have a disparate impact on low-income residents and that it's committed to working with the governor and legislature to move away from assessments as a funding source. For The California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. Support for The California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The James Irvine Foundation committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, 
working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And that is the California Report for Monday, May 9th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Social media is here to stay, but parents in California face an uphill battle when it comes to protecting their kids from risk factors inherent on TikTok, Instagram, and other online platforms. Up next, California News Service's Chance Dorland speaks to Mark Berkman, CEO of the California-based Organization for Social Media Safety. As children grow up, parents and caregivers across California face the difficult decision of how to oversee social media use. But is that decision made harder by a lack of legal protections for children in the Golden State? Mark Berkman is the CEO of the California-based nonprofit Organization for Social Media Safety. He believes Sacramento needs to act now to better protect youth from social media cyberbullying, substance abuse, and even human trafficking. Our main legislative focus right now is on Sammy's Law. Require social media platforms to give parents the choice to use third-party safety software to get alerts when dangerous content comes across their child's social media accounts. Berkman says the Organization for Social Media Safety has also endorsed pending legislation for better transparency in social media platforms' terms and conditions, as well as protections against companies implementing intentionally addictive features targeted to child users. Berkman has personal experience in leaning for change to better protect California's youth, helping pass a first-in-the-nation law. My co-founder, Ed Eisner, his 14-year-old son was brutally attacked. An associate of the attacker filmed the attack and put it up on social media. And we developed Jordan's Law after Jordan Eisner to deter what we now call social media-motivated violence. Social media reform activist Frances Haugen became a household name after turning over data from her former employer, Facebook, to the U.S. government. In a recent online discussion hosted by the American Federation of Teachers, Haugen reiterated her position that Facebook and its parent company Meta, which also owns Instagram, WhatsApp, and other platforms, knows the damage it is inflicting on American children and must be held accountable. No one inside of Facebook came in and said, this is what we want to do. But what they did do is they turned a blind eye. If we hold children's toys to a product liability standard where you need to demonstrate you did safety by design, why aren't we asking the same thing of these virtual products for children, especially as we move into the land of the metaverse? Haugen explains that rather than acting as a mirror to reflect what already is taking place in society, Facebook instead both amplifies certain ideas over others while also inducing users to act in certain ways. For California News Service, I'm Chance Dorland. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Now let's take a look at our regional weather. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, patchy fog after 10 p.m. and showers likely before 11 p.m. A slight chance of snow after 5 a.m. Thunder is possible this evening with a low around 33. Tuesday, patchy fog before 8 a.m. A slight chance of rain and snow before 9 a.m. with a high near 52. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 16. Scattered snow showers before 2 a.m. Tuesday, snow showers likely mainly after 11 a.m. with a high near 37. And in Sacramento and Woodland, 
Tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 42. A slight chance of showers and thunderstorms before 8 p.m. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high near 65. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Most of us aren't strangers to the magic of music, but have you ever wondered at its healing properties? Listen along as KVMR Youth News Corps reporter Maya Cruz discovers the many uses of music in therapy. A lot of us listen to music daily, and it often helps us get through the day. But have we ever stopped to wonder as to why it brings us so much comfort and healing? In this story, I interview Forrest Reed, who uses music as a way to help those afflicted with Alzheimer's. I also speak with Nevada County's children's behavioral health therapist, Robert Hyrand, who uses music therapy in his practice with children and young adults. My name is Forrest Reed, and back in 1993, I produced my first benefit concert, and I've done 16 of those. So uh, most recently, I've done some for music and memory. Uh, in honoring my mom, who also had Alzheimer's. but So what I'm involved with right now is doing that program on a grassroots level and producing playlists for people that are in hospice organizations. What are the programs that you're connected with now? Well, I work with a national organization out of New York that's called Music of Memory, and there's a film tied to that organization called Alive Inside that is a documentary movie. It shows the uh, great value of bringing personalized music to people that are suffering from the Alzheimer's disease, especially in some of the more advanced stages where they're not really communicating. And so as a result of, you know, seeing that film and my mom having Alzheimer's, I produce a, a series of concerts to help the Alzheimer's organization and also to bring the Music and Memory Program into Sacramento memory care communities. So what do you like about what you do? Uh, well, it has been an awesome experience. I found out about how powerfully the program works from implementing it with my mom after I saw the film. So she had herself deep in Alzheimer's, but when she heard her music from the 40s, she recalled all these events and told me a lot of stories around what it was like for her at that time of her life when she was in her 20s. So I knew that that worked, and it already produced a number of benefit conscious for other causes, homelessness and battling sex trafficking. So I started doing this work for Music and Memory, where we take a couple thousand dollars for each community, and we put that in training and audio equipment. And so we raised about $100,000 and expanded the Music and Memory program in Sacramento uh, in about 20, 25 different communities. Then I shifted to reaching out and becoming a volunteer in hospice and working the program to bring music to ease comfort to people that are in that final phase of their life. Specifically for Alzheimer's, it's a powerful tool because the brain shrinks to about one-third its size, but the last part to atrophy is the music center. And so when you play personalized music, it triggers all the memories and feelings and emotions that are tied to listening to that music in your earlier years. So it really is a comfort and a joy for people that have Alzheimer's. How does producing a beneficiary concert work? It's a wonderful business. I've always done it in terms of volunteering. I was in the music industry for 10 years, retail, and then when that ended, and then afterwards, I just found this real niche, not unlike being on the radio, where I just 
enjoyed all the logistics it took to produce a show. But, you know, the risk is actually in the financial and a lot of people that go to successful concerts don't realize that the producer uh, sometimes actually loses money or comes close to that breaking even. Can you share some breakthroughs that you've made? Well, I, I get more than I actually give in that the feeling of serving people is very fulfilling. And so uh, it feels like you're in some ways just honoring uh, being a human being and being on a planet where you can do good. So my name's Robert Hira, and I am a licensed clinical social worker, and I'm also a registered music therapist, and I work for Nevada County Children's Behavioral Health. I see children and families. And what's your background? So I've been a I've been a musician most of my life, and been a songwriter and a musician and a composer and you know, used to play when I was in my 20s, played in played in a variety of different bands. And I was also interested in the helping professions and in mental health. And so when I discovered that there was such a thing as music therapy, music having been my lifelong passion, I decided to go and study music therapy. So I went to Cal State Long Beach. They had a music therapy program back in the late 80s and early 90s. And I made my way through that program. And the then after I graduated, I moved up to San Francisco and did a music therapy internship at UCSF Medical Center. And then I became a registered music therapist. And after a few years, I decided I wanted to broaden my work with people. And so I went back to school and got my master's degree in social work at, over at UC Berkeley and eventually became a licensed clinical social worker. So what do you like about what you do and you know, what, what made you want to do it? Well, I love working with kids, and I've always wanted to do work that is meaningful and gives back and is helpful for people. I usually work with the family system as well, and it has its stressful sides, but it's also something worthwhile and something very rewarding. So how do you, like, incorporate music into your practice? I like to do drumming kids. So I have some drums in my office. I have some percussive instruments, a little Orf xylophone, some shakers, things like that. And something about listening that you have to do, and that can be a very grounding thing for kids or for anybody. And I, I find that you know, for a lot of kids, the drumming really helps calm the nervous system. It helps them tune in and be able to connect with others. And it helps them also to tune into their own internal rhythm, you know, because our, our whole bodies are built around rhythm. Sometimes I'll have kids that come into my office and they don't want to talk about anything. So we don't have to. We can play. We can drum. The other thing that I do a lot, especially with teenagers, is encourage them to bring in music that they love. And we listen to songs together and talk about the songs, talk about what the song means to them. What do you think is the importance of the use of music therapy? I mean, I think there's a lot of things, but one thing that I would say is that I think in our culture, there was a time when the main function of music was in communities. You know, people would drum together, people would sing together. Before there were recording artists and radio and rock stars and all that, it was just something that people did together. And so I think that's a real value too, is helping people to connect to music making and that being a way that people can connect to each other. Music speaks to the heart and to the emotions emotions in a really deep way. And so that's something that can be utilized in in the process. This is Maya Cruz reporting for the KVMR News Corps. 
This story was produced as part of KVMR's Youth News Corps, with support from the National Federation for Community Broadcasting and the Community Counts Initiative. For more information about Youth News Corps, visit kvmr.org slash youthnewscorps. The air around us is going through changes, right before our eyes. Science correspondent Al Stoller shed some light on tonight's weather. Warm air rises. When warm air rises, it grows cooler. Rising air cools off. When air cools down, the water vapor in it condenses. It becomes tiny liquid droplets. We see that happening when we breathe on a mirror. Put a pot of water on the stove and the water sucks heat out of the stovetop, giving it energy to evaporate. Whenever water evaporates, whenever water turns from liquid to gas, it sucks heat out of whatever it touches. That's why, millions of years ago, mammals invented sweat. When sweat evaporates, it cools our skin. Same trick backwards. When water condenses, when water transforms from gas to liquid, it gives up heat, pumps heat into whatever's around. So when cloud droplets condense in rising air, they heat the air around. If the air around the cloud gets warm enough, well, warm air rises. So we get another round of warm rising air, then cooling off, forming yet more clouds, maybe rewarming the air enough to rise yet again. The National Weather Service forecasts possible thunderstorms Monday. Thunderstorms happen when the cycle of warm air rising, cooling, warming and rising again. Thunderstorms happen when this cycle repeats itself, over and over. The turbulence in the churning air somehow rips atoms apart, dumps electrons in one place, until they jump through the air as lightning. I say the turbulence rips atoms apart somehow, because no one is totally sure how it works. If we do get a thunder bumper, watch for hail, chunks of ice falling from the sky. The stormy weather is a treat, a good time to slow down and enjoy the world. For KMMR, I'm Al Stoller. Up ahead, a Nevada City resident shares her commentary in response to the leaked Supreme Court Roe v. Wade draft opinion. Hi, my name is Annabella Funk, and I am the co-founder of Nevada County Abortion Rights. I started this organization with my best friend, and we started it because we were just scared about what the future holds for abortion rights and our ability to choose what happens to our bodies. I've had several of my friends have to make the choice to get an abortion, and it was a really, really hard decision for them. But at the end of the day, it was their decision, and I think that that's why ultimately we started this organization. We're having a protest tomorrow at the Nevada City Courthouse at 5 p.m. We're protesting the Supreme Court attempting to overthrow Roe v. Wade. We will have community speakers and music by Anna Fernandez. You can find more about us at NC Abortion Rights on Instagram and on Facebook. Please note that this is a peaceful and inclusive protest, and we welcome the voices of everybody in our community, including the LGBTQIA community. Also, if you're looking for other ways to help, we recommend donating to abortionfunds.org. They are an incredible organization, and they distribute your donation to independent clinics across the country. Thank you so much, and I hope to see you at 5 p.m. in front of the Nevada City Courthouse to protest the overturning of Roe v. Wade. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only, and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or contributors. 
That's our newscast for this Monday, May 9th. KVMR gets support from Nevada County Farm and Garden, helping gardeners and farmers optimize soil condition with garden products, consulting, and services, including soil testing for pre-plant amending, mid-season top dressing, providing nutrient recommendations based upon soil quality. Online, nevadacountygrow.com. And Miners Foundry, presenting the 11th Annual Nevada City Spring Craft Fair, Sunday, May 15th. 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., featuring over 50 local artisans and crafters with art, handmade decor, apparel, and gifts. Information at minersfoundry.org. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.